Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Nation's Weekly Podcast. I'm here with my illustrious co-host, Claire. Claire, how are you doing today? Fine, thank you. Good. I'm doing wonderful. Um, I'm excited because of the guest that we have to introduce you to this week. He's been a dear friend and older brother, mentor, all sorts of things to me. His name is Jeff Rinke, and he has lived quite the life. So you're going to hear about some of that and some of what God has done in, in and through it and what he's passionate about. Uh, and it's it's good stuff. Jeff is many things. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a soon-to-be grandfather. Yes. Um, he has been Hi. a multi-sport athlete, scholarship athlete. He is uh, the founder and the director of a nonprofit called The Relationship Resource. He has been the marriage and family pastor at North Coast Calvary Chapel for the last 30 years. Congratulations. Wow. I started uh, when I was eight. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's, he's, a, he's a nerd as well. He, he lo- <laughs> Man, the guy loves reading, loves studying. He's got a master's in education from Azusa Pacific, a master's in family therapy from Trinity School of Psychology. And he's also got a, ba- a long background in ministry that's not the church. He's worked in parachurch as well. He was the director of mm-hmm. uh, FCA in San Diego. Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Yeah, and has been a coach and a mentor to all sorts of uh, young people, married couples, you know, you name it. Um, Jeff can't help but find us delightfully broken people and <laughs> and encourage and inspire us. So I'm thrilled, Jeff. Thank you for coming and joining us for today's conversation here at Nations. Um, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's yeah. nice to meet you. Same. <laughs> um, before I ask you to share a little bit of your story and how yeah. you got here, I want to frame the conversation beyond just your accolades. The reason why you're sitting in this chair is because I consider you a reformer. I've you know, had the privilege of working with you when I was on staff at North Coast. Um, got to watch you work to write this wonderful book, Badly Broken, Broken Deeply Loved, How to Find God's Healing, Wholeness, and Peace. Uh, we got to work as co-hosts together That's on a right. different podcast project, the Free to Love podcast. We got to do shameless plug. Yeah, we uh, got to do part two. Yeah, yeah, we will. We will. Um, but uh, yeah, I consider you, consider you a reformer in a lot of ways because you, for man, the last fifteen plus years in, in in particular, as you've been developing the men's and women's skills and the relationship marriage skills resources, you've looked at the church and said, hey. There's actually an area of brokenness here. Um, we don't always know how to help people on their healing journey. We may be good at missions, or we may, we may be good at evangelism, but when it comes to helping traumatized people, when it comes to helping people in recovery, when it comes to understanding just the healing journey, um, there's lots of resources that the church is really reluctant to engage with. You know, the psychological community had lots of insights and modalities that, for a long time, the church looked at with suspicion. And particularly our own denomination, that was kind of a hallmark of it for a while, uh, was this deep suspicion towards that whole field. And you actually looked at that and said, wait a second, I think that there's gold that we can mine here. We don't, you know, there's critique, but there's also a lot that we can learn. And so, metaphor. yeah, I've seen you as a, as kind of a master synthesizer, the, this curriculum that you've built that I get, that I'm a facilitator for is this wonderful blend of biblical wisdom and insight and truth blended with a lot of the insights from the fields of neuroscience um, and neurobiology with traumatology, with just counseling best practices and the, the, some of the best insights of the psychological community, most notably the, um, the modality developed by Terry and Sharon Hargrave, mm-hmm. um, restoration therapy. Mm-hmm. And so this was, you know, it's been pretty common now 
like we live in very much a therapeutic age where the language of therapy is pretty popular and ubiquitous. It's there's no longer this stigma, particularly around our generation, no. mm-hmm. uh, about being in therapy and that just being a part of what it means to be a healthy human. But that wasn't the case when you started tra- blazing some of this trail yeah, that's, years that's ago. So I'm excited to hear more about that journey yeah. and to share with our audience some of just the wisdom that you've gleaned. But before we get to that, I'd love to hear um, just some of yeah your story. How did you end up, you know, the Jeff Rinky that you are today? How, what where did God show up? Still in that? trying to figure that out. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> we're all we're all journey. on that journey, aren't we? <laughs> you never figure it out completely. Uh, but yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's been a blessing uh, to be able to partner with you mm. in our pra- in our past. Uh, um, you know, gathering together, you've helped me. I think you've given me great insight into not only have we done the podcast, but with the books. So I'm very grateful for our relationship, and um, and I think we're going to be doing this for a while. I hope so. Uh, so part of understanding part of my story, and I'm not sure if you've just seen the movie Jesus of Revolution. Yeah, yeah. So that's my story. Mm. And so for me to reflect back uh, in the early 70s and to see this massive movement of the Spirit of God that came out of the hippie generation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it really took me back to that particular season of my life. Um, and as I was um, in this place of, in many ways, I lived this dual reality is here I am a two-sport athlete at USC. I played on three national championship baseball teams, was on the United States all-star team against Japan. Um, and then I played both, ba- I went there on a basketball scholarship, but then ended up getting drafted by the Detroit Tigers and played a couple of years in the Tiger organization as a pitcher. And so in many ways, um, you know, I, I lived a, a, an amazing life and very grateful and I feel very gifted that I had uh, that level of uh, a talent and that mm. that sense of ability to be that successful in the world of athletics and i um you know i did get injured uh, yet i felt even after i got injured and i was finally released after two years knowing my pain cycle i thought i was a failure uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the reality was um as i'm living that part of my life and it was i'm very grateful and the world I lived in at USC was at the very height of the glory years of, of, of the USC Trojans, mm-hmm. national championships in basketball and baseball, football. And so these are the guys I hang out with. Yeah. But the other side of my life was um, during that particular generation and that season is drugs was, was pretty rampant. And so um, Coming out of high school and jumping into college is I was introduced to, you know, to marijuana, and then that took me on to other harder drugs. Mm-hmm. And I found myself by, the, by my sophomore year, now I'm pretty, part of my life story included substance abuse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that created a lot of confusion for me. And as I looked at Jesus' revolution, that just brought me back to that, that mm-hmm. reality of mm-hmm. how much... This this worldview of free love and but this sense of anti um, institutional worldview and trying to find purpose and meaning and love in your life, and so it's pretty fascinating as I've been being able to sit back in that season of my life. It's yeah. really been amazing for me to be so grateful mm-hmm. and to give a greater sense of significance and meaning to that dark season of my life. Which for many of those years, I buried that the shameful time of Mm -hmm. drugs and living a very promiscuous, crazy world, Mm -hmm. I buried all that because I I lived that that 
place of shame mm-hmm. and guilt. For me to go back to that, it helped to understand my story and to be able to help the way integrate how God was there with me the whole time, mm-hmm. even in those deep moments of darkness. And I'll just give you one story. Uh, I remember going to um, a party down at, on Newport Peninsula, and the gentleman uh, who, at his house, he was the founder of Quicksilver, and he gave me a, maybe we shouldn't put this on. No, <laughs> you know, no, that's your... but, but anyway, I remember he gave me a uh, quarter hit of acid, and I had a really bad experience. Mm-hmm. Was, uh, this was um, this is my junior year in college, and I had a really bad experience. And and I, I remember this because I, I look at the story of mm-hmm. the Jesus Revolution. This was pretty norm. Yeah. And I remember getting in my car, my little scoreback Volkswagen, and driving back to USC. And I thought about taking my life. Mm. I was in so much pain, um, and so that took me to the very darkest, deepest part. Um, coming that place of real brokenness and mm-hmm. recognizing I can't live this life anymore. Thinking about I got I can't live the pain, the confusion. Um, and so when I got back into my apartment uh, for three nights in a row, I cried out, I cried out to God. Mm. And so it wasn't like I had went to church. It didn't like I had this, you know, someone shared the four spiritual laws with right. me. It, <laughs> yeah. it was, now there are other components. I know that God was all was already planting seeds, and mm-hmm. but being in my apartment all by myself in a place of deep darkness and pain and confusion, mm-hmm. and crying out to God that it's literally within maybe it was a month. Um, I remember I I was at another party and took a hit of uh, took a hit of um, you know some marijuana and. Um, I almost got sick to my stomach. Mm. And so that moment, I could no, I could no longer do the drugs. Mm. So I'm kind of I'm giving you a little bit of understanding from my story. Um, was, uh, it was when I was 21 years old, mm. a senior year at USC, is when I asked Christ into my life at a small little row Bible study with about 20 people at USC. Mm. But God was already working in my life previous sure. to that in beginning and but I I kind of knew there's something going on. Uh, but as I reflect back on it now, um, that was the point in my life and dealing with this deep reality that I am really deeply broken. I am mm. badly broken. <laughs> and and coming to a place of complete desperation coming to the end of myself and realizing I can't do this anymore. Mm. So when I had this radical conversion experience in this small little Bible study on the row at USC, I remember the Holy Spirit coming upon me. Mm. It was a powerful experience. It was the first time in my life that I, I experienced the absence of shame or guilt mm. and the first time of true, deep love. Mm and sensing the sense of inner peace that I've never experienced before. Mm. So that was the moment uh, that took me on this new journey into mm. really discovering what true spirituality, who Jesus was. Mm. And that entered me into begin, begin this road of where I find myself today. Yeah, because you didn't grow up probably dreaming, I'm going to be... Uh, 
I'm going to be a marriage and family pastor at a church. And oh, I'm, sure. I'm going to found five years old. <laughs> I'm going to found a nonprofit, yeah. you know, focused yeah. on uh, like psychological well-being, yes. and sp- emotionally spirit, healthy spirituality, yeah. recovery from addiction. You know, you thought you were going to be uh, a sports star. And you go on oh, to do yeah. that. So after, yeah. so you meet yeah. Jesus. You have this. Um, yeah. Well, it's interesting. A couple of things that are interesting to me that you just mentioned is, yeah, like you said, connecting it to the the Jesus Revolution era and the you know the hippie and kind of post hippie space. Mm-hmm. Where I loved how that movie pointed out that the hunger that that young generation had mm-hmm. for transcendence is an innate human one. You know, um, we all we long to encounter a transcendent God, a tr- transcendent reality that. Um, gives us this sense that there is more to life than just yeah. the material. Mm-hmm. There's more to life than just kind of the mundane rat race, you know, uh, that there's a story larger than ourselves that we can participate in. And uh, I don't think that that's... I think we saw it really clearly during that cultural moment. No. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're... I'm curious, do you do you feel like you're seeing that... Um, that same sort of yearning and longing manifested in our own culture now. Wow, that's a that's a really that's a very good question. I've had some I've had some conversations with some dear friends of mine that uh, in my generation who got saved during that season, mm-hmm. reflecting back on what was that like for us in that particular generation, and where do we find our, this generation? Obviously, our children and grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Where do we find ourselves now in our in our society and our culture? Mm-hmm. And I, um, we've all agreed that we believe it's darker. We believe mm-hmm. it's more complicated yeah. than it was when mm-hmm. when I was when we had more of a black and white reality of you know of. Um, I, I just feel like it's more sophisticated, more complicated, um, and more confusing today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's been obviously um, in having a conversation with my son and my daughter, they have not experienced, and they, when they saw the movie, I took them to go see the movie with me, and mm-hmm. they're watching their dad cry, and then mm-hmm. they started crying. And it's been my heart's desire that they could experience a, that they had some sort of you know, this experience mm-hmm. with God. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I feel very fortunate, even though it was a very painful and dark moment in my life, but I'm very grateful that I was, I was able to see and experience the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. I've, you know, I've seen, you know, healing. Um, and we've had this, you and I have had these conversations mm-hmm. before, but I, you know, I have, been very fortunate. I've seen the real dark side of evil, being a a counselor in the church and a therapist of sitting with people who have experienced some pretty profound strongholds of darkness and demonic Mm -hmm. activities. Um, And that's now actually more the norm. I mean, the world that we live in, and that's the world of my calling, is I see that world, I live in that world, and I feel very blessed that I'm able to sit with people and help them walk through that, because that was part of part of my journey and part of my story. So I think, um, yeah, I, 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 it has been my, my passion and it's been my heart's desire is to, um, to be a vehicle to bring healing and wholeness and restoration and deliverance because that's what I experienced. Mm-hmm. That's been part of my journey and my story. So how do I ended up become a pastor and how I ended up uh, overseeing a counseling center? It has really been birthed out of my pain, out of my journey from pain to peace. 
and experiencing a, going to a place of deep loss and sorrow to amazing joy and um, and that's to me that's the tension that's the reality that we find ourselves in this world. Mm-hmm. Mm. I want to come back to something unless you've got a question. You can go for it. Uh, I want to come back to something that you said there uh, in a little bit, but um, how did you get from, so you, you end up, you get injured after being with the, the Tigers organization for a few years. And so that's a real turning point for you where, okay, so professional sports and the world of sports, which has been your whole life in so many ways, being highly competitive, being really gifted, um, that future is now gone. Yes. So I'm curious about how, okay, you, you was your encounter with with God and that sense of of love, peace, well be, well being, and, and value was that kind of an anchor for you during that time? And did, was that part of what guided you into the world of of coaching and of ministry? And so, like, how did you end up? Yeah, how did you end up going from professional sports track to vocational ministry track? Yeah, well, that's uh, again a good question. Um, so, I, I I believe my life since I was 10 years old, was in the world of sports. And um, so after I was done playing minor league baseball, um, I received a job down at South at Southwestern Junior College in San Diego. That brought me to San Diego. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, my vocation was, it's a real natural vocation to me jump right into the sports world and coaching because mm-hmm. I had that experience. Mm-hmm. But on my advocation as I'm as I'm pursuing coaching and athletics and loved, you know, I've, I've loved coaching. It's just my passion. I mean, I am, I think by nature, I'm a coach. Mm-hmm. I'm even a coach in the spiritual realm. That's where my passion is, um, is I'm on this journey of discovering who I am. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'll never forget when I, um, after I got released and I came back home and, uh, we had a, my family and some friends, we had this party, you know, just to welcome me. And, but it was really, was fascinating to me is a lot of these people, they, they saw me in the identity as a, as a sports figure. Mm -hmm. They knew me as a professional athlete or as a collegiate star. They did not know how to deal with me. Mm-hmm. This 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 part of my life has now come to an end. They didn't know how to talk to me. Mm. Some people ignored me. Mm. And that was actually an interesting time of my life because it brought me to a point of, in a sense of disillusionment, and at the same time um, of a discovery of where, asking the question, where does my identity lie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's always been that's always been part of my journey. It's part of the struggle. Is how much of my identity is grounded in my accolades and success and, mm-hmm. and awards and affirmation. And so that that drives, especially if you're in the world of athletics, mm-hmm. that is going to dominate your sense of your personality. And as you know, people who have been in collegiate sports is you become a very intense, driven person, and how much of your sense of your identity is in your behavior and your success. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sharing that with you because as, as, as I look at where I am today, part of my journey and discovery had to do with where, do, where is my identity? Where do I get my sense of value and purpose mm-hmm. in life? And so um, that brought me down to San Diego, and um, I... Uh, got involved in a church down here, and I immediately started serving, and I went to 
um, a rehab center, which is interesting. The first place I went to was a rehab center. There was in conjunction with a church who people were recovering, and I did a Bible study there. Mm. It was my first Bible study. I'd only been a, I'd only been a Christian maybe for uh, maybe a year and a half, two years, and already I'm opening the Bible and helping people who are in rehab or recovery mm. to heal. Mm. So, mm. and I again, I had no training. I had no background. <laughs> um, it's just something that I just jumped into, and mm-hmm. and uh, and so it, it's fascinating to reflect on these moments of how the seeing the handprints of God directed me in this journey. Mm. Mm. So I think um, so. the The journey has always been this process of, you know, where does my sense of value come from, and who am I, and what really gives me a sense of significance and purpose in my life. And I remember, um, I remember taking some philosophy classes at Point Loma University when I was there because my brain is always, I have, I have somewhat of a philosophical brain, you know, so I'm always trying to analyze and research and understand. And I remember reading about James Sartre, mm-hmm. who was a French existentialist. And I remember reading philosophy that really began to to help, help me to anchor in the truths of scriptures and he said he said the the finite without an infinite reference points has no meaning mm-hmm. and so studying philosophy and then the really the first book i ever read in the bible was ecclesiastes oh, <laughs> what a great one <laughs> but also what a curveball it's crazy <laughs> and, you know, so i remember sitting up at, you know here I am in living at USC and, you know, living, we call, we've been called the University of Spoiled Children. <laughs> and a lot of my friends, you know, they're all, you know, even now, I look back at them now, they're all driving BMWs and, and Porsches, and I'm driving a little Volkswagen bug, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I remember reading Ecclesiastes and just reading the very first, first chapter, and it says, it says, vanity, vanity. All is vanity. It's like chasing after wind. Mm. And that sense of disillusionment with the world that I lived as an athlete, experienced great success, yeah. accolades and glory, it came to an end. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I just had, how do I live now to get rid of my identity is no longer grounded in what I do. Mm-hmm. This, this was part of my journey and the opportunity I had to discover the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God as I begin this, my own journey, my own process. Well, and I think that's also highly relatable because everyone defines themselves and finds identity in what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's important to have that bit of awareness. And I'm curious as to like, I, I basically did a really quick read. I skimmed most of your book yesterday. <laughs> Not all of it, but most of it. And you make some statements about, you know, and we've mentioned the state of the church and that there needs to be more integration and awareness. And would you say that the cornerstone of all of that is through identity? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I absolutely. It, it's not, it really is not in our behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, I, when we think about true spirituality, mm-hmm. is true spirituality is really anchored in who we are and whose we are, mm-hmm. not what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but that's, I think that's the nature, that's the, the nature of our curse. That's the sinful nature that we battle with every single day is if you think about the temptations of Christ, um, and I remember Henry Renown, I'm a big fan of Henry Renown, who's a, a former priest and 
Um, and he basically described the three temptations of Christ as, I am by what I do, I am by what people think I am, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I am by what I have and how much power I have. Mm-hmm. And those are three temptations. I mean, it's really simple. It's simple to understand these are the temptations, not only that was presented to Christ when he was in the wilderness, mm-hmm. it's 40 days you know, of, mm-hmm. of uh, fasting, but these are, the, these are the temptations in our humanity we deal with every single day. Mm-hmm. Where, where are you anchoring your sense of purpose, significance, and your identity? Is it, what you, is it in what you do? Is it in what people say you are? Or is it in how much power you have and influence mm-hmm. and how much you, materialism and consumerism, which is at our heart of our culture? Mm-hmm. Or is it, do you find your identity in the intrinsic value created in the infinite wisdom, divine love of of God, mm. that's the, and I agree with you. That's the journey are we, we're all on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the journey of humanity. And the church, I think, if I'm hearing what some of you're saying, Claire, uh, you're picking up on his book is diagnosing that unfortunately, um, the church, uh, especially in the West, has maybe run uh, run afoul of that core message and has instead turned into these organizations that, that put a great deal of emphasis on behavior and behavior modification that, Hey, true spirituality equals moral behavior or Mm -hmm. true spirituality Mm -hmm. equals right doctrine. Um, when, when, if what I understand that you're just saying there that, well, no, true spirituality actually begins at this level of identity and, um, that identity has to be grounded in something other than that, performance mentality, mm-hmm. other than that perception, um, you know, mentality, other than that power mentality. Yeah. It's got to be rooted, if we're going to be able to navigate the those sorts of temptations, right, um, we have to do the work of saying, well, how can I actually re-understand myself and the way that I relate to God yeah. and to, to develop a secure attachment so that when when the world of Ecclesiastes comes crashing in, the, the world of, of meaningless violence, of, of success that doesn't actually bring satisfaction, mm-hmm. um, we have uh, like a safe harbor to retreat to, which is what I hear you saying, this, mm-hmm. um, that, hey, you're intrinsically valuable because you're created by a, a thoughtful, loving, relational God who um, delights in you. Yeah, mm. which is reflect. I'm sorry. Did you no, no, no. Yeah. Well, reflect reflecting back on when uh, the that existential moment when I discovered Jesus um, during the during the Jesus movement is the church at that time was was very broken. I mean, the institutional church was, was a very strong, fundamental, sectarian, territorial uh, place for the me, people went there for protection to preserve their sense of their, you know, whatever, how they identified themselves. And so it's interesting how what broke out of that was when, uh, when this pastor, this in many ways of uh, a man named Chuck, Chuck Smith, who was not a successful pastor at a small little church, <laughs> and he was willing to really take the risk of opening up the doors to homeless people, mm-hmm. from street people, of Jesus, uh, these young uh, recovering addicts and and uh, and how that created a lot of conflict with the church at that time, mm-hmm. and so the stark contrast of the simplicity and the power of God's love 
that transcends all institutions. We see that hit the local church in the 70s, and then we see this in Southern California, this great movement where then Jesus was met outside the four walls of the institutional church, and we see this great movement of love that was touching the hearts of this younger generation that was not grounded in the institutional church. I'm not anyway dismissing how that many that they opened the doors to the great to the sense of simplicity mm-hmm. in the um, and I think that the what we call that back then it was like a new wineskin, which I don't think it's really a new wineskin. It was really the original essence of what true spirituality and the love of Jesus is. I would say what my experience in Calvary Chapel is in, in many ways the church has regressed back to its old form mm. of institutionalism, um, sectarianism, mm-hmm. uh, preservation, of uh, maintaining a sense of the existence of our local uh, congregations. So in order to do that, we've really um, we've adopted a lot of the culture's values of power and control, consumerism, mm. mm-hmm. and, and kind of more sense of marketing. Mm-hmm. And that's the tension because we, the church, the local church, evangelicalism has adopted the culture's ethics, I believe. That's how I mm. perceive this. And, so, so, and as you said, my story is coming, coming to know Jesus not in the local church mm-hmm. and then ending up working in the local yeah. church. <laughs> I had a hate. I had a love-hate relationship. Mm-hmm. I remember going to seminary, and I, at the time when I went to seminary, Gordon Conwell Seminary back in Boston. I remember, um, and I was, uh, I was thirty-two, and so I had a lot of these younger, gifted young men and women who were very idealistic about the local church, and I was very cynical, mm-hmm. and I had already pastored a church in uh, Mount Soledad in La Jolla for three years and experienced some of the most crazy um, pain and suicide and overdose and depression and sexual, just in a small, and within three years, our church grew from 100 to 1,000. And they, I was hired. I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) You know, so I'm, I'm 30 years old. I had no idea. I had a passion for Jesus, but I had no idea how to function in that environment. And I got, I got eaten up and I said, I can't do this anymore. So I escaped in, I escaped from the local church to go to seminary. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so you actually, thank you for preempting one of my questions. I was going to ask you to, you were doing a good job of describing the, the church climate that you know, existed when you encountered Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then I was asking you to diagnose kind of our, our current cultural moment, and you just did. And what I heard you say is that you see uh, a, the institutional church has, as it's losing cultural power or influence or significance, um, where they regressed to adopting the tactics or the ethics of the surrounding culture. So it's it's a preservationist mentality. It's one that it says, well, yeah, how do we hang on to the cultural influence or the economic power that we have, how do we preserve our our numbers and these, you know, how do we keep alive these organizations that that grew up and gave us this sense of security? Um, and 
you know, it's a very, as you mentioned, sectarianism. So there's a very, there, there isn't a collaborative spirit. There's a competitive spirit so often between, yeah. between churches, between denominations, you know. Um, it's so subtle. Yeah. Yeah. But you, that's one of the reasons why I'm curious about what's going on, uh, what God has been doing in and through you is because, you know, so you're working for this local church for like 30 years, but at the same time, you then found... Um, you start writing this curriculum, which I know is the men's and women's skills and marriage skills and leadership skills, um, that is trying to paint a different picture, trying to paint a picture of emotionally healthy spirituality. I know Pete Scazzaro is really influential mm-hmm. for you there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then instead of saying, well, hey, no, we're just going to keep it to our church. And like, if you, you know, you got to come, if you want to be a part of this, you got to come be a part of what we're doing here. You found a nonprofit with this vision to try and say, hey, no, actually, I want to basically give this away to churches. I want to like help resource yeah. communities who are interested in um, developing alternative community, like alternative paths forward of mm-hmm. of healing and of discipleship and of spirituality. So, what what inspired you to go to like while still working for a church? create this separate nonprofit that and develop these curriculum and try and try and help resource churches that okay. you're not a part of. Yeah. So that great question. Um, I'm going to kind of give you a, just touch that touch a little bit more on my story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was 15 years into uh, my position as a marriage and family pastor. I still had a lot of baggage. Mm. Uh, there are a lot of issues in my life that uh, I still was wrestling with. And one of those, and we've talked about this on our podcast, Mm -hmm. is I was exposed to pornography, you know, when I was 11, 12 years old. And and then I wasn't wasn't raised in a Christian home, you know, went to USC and just lived this very promiscuous, crazy lifestyle. And so when I got radically saved, I went through a honeymoon period experiencing God's love and His grace. But then there came to a point where all of a sudden this... These ba- this baggage stuff started coming back up, realizing that I still have these lustful temptations of looking at pornography. I know I had anger issues mm-hmm. that were attached to that. I had deep shame. So part of my, as I reflect back on my own story, is here I've been at this church for 15 years, knowing that God's used me, seeing people's lives come to know Christ and so forth. But at the same time, I'm recognizing my own life as well as many other people who have been in the church. I don't see people changing. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't see people growing. Yeah. I don't. I don't see people becoming more loving and caring. And so I'm. But I'm reflecting on my own life. Like, why am I still living in this place? Mm. If I'm really believed in Jesus has healed me and set me free. I'm still struggling with maybe some compulsive or addictive attitudes and behavior. So that's when I decided I need to go. I, I can't figure this out. And I would probably say the biggest issue that I encountered as a pastor was burnout. Mm-hmm. Because the best part of my drivenness is why am I constantly, I am, a, I am probably part of my story was I mastered in burnout. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and then recognizing even more recently in the last, I think about two years ago during COVID, I started struggling with depression and I'd never struggled with depression before. So this is when I decided I got to go figure out about myself. And that's when I went back and got my master's in marriage family therapy. And I began this deeper search of my own heart mm. and beginning to understand myself as well as understanding the inner self, understanding why other people aren't growing in their faith and what, what's hindering that journey. And so that's when I begin 
this this journey of my own um, healing and and then having to face some really face some dark secrets that I was withholding from even my wife mm-hmm. at the time um, and and my children and uh, you know my daughter at the time was fourteen my son was twelve and that's when I you know that was exposed and I hit I hit the kind of D-Day of my life, and, mm-hmm. and so my wife and I... Who rock was bottom all, number two. Rock bottom number two. And really interesting, I see myself, how many conversions have we... How many conversion moments have we all had? Yeah. So I probably had about four or five conversion experience that I've, ha- I've hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And I reflect back on those moments now is they're the greatest gifts of my life. Mm-hmm. It's coming to a place of desperation at the end of myself is to me is now l- not looking at a place of shame and guilt of those moments, mm-hmm. but really seeing them as e- essential doorways in many ways strangely wrapped gifts mm-hmm. of discovering, uh, discovering the goodness and the grace of, of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So that's when I begin to, I went back to school and I begin to do more research and how do I implement this into uh, my ministry? And that's when I begin to write the curriculum, the men's skills a curriculum and integrate integrate uh, emotional, behavioral, psychological, neuroscientific truths that only reinforce biblical reality and biblical truth. So I wanted I wanted to bring in these truths to only reinforce and to be able to reframe and rethink our brain by using other language mm-hmm. that we become so familiar with biblical language where it almost loses its meaning sure. and power. So that was kind of that's kind of the passage I've been, the the journey that I've been mm. on. So I'm kind of curious. Uh, the one thing that I, you'd mentioned earlier I wanted to circle back to is that you were saying, you know, w- when you were describing how how you and some of your peers, uh, as you've been reflecting on our cultural moments, say, hey, it's darker now. It's more complex now. And then in your, in your counseling and your uh, pastoral practice um, and in the, you know, the group um, like recovery and healing modality that we, we practice, uh, you see, man, there's the spiritual component, um, spiritual darkness, um, demonic influence, and that sort of this, this kind of you know, sometimes sensationalized aspect of spirituality that can be kind of controversial. You see that on one hand, and then you're also seeing, like you said, the um, emotional damage, uh, trauma. You understand that, psycho, you know, neuroscience, uh, sorry, neurobiology might be um, a component of what's going on here. Family systems, um, you know, broken family systems are are part of to blame. So how I'd like to have a little bit of a conversation yeah. about that. How, what's your, been your experience about trying to hold the tension of these things? Um, do we give too much weight to spirituality? Do we give too much weight to the therapeutic realm? Like, you know, what does, yeah. is it even possible to separate or to parse out these different yeah. things? You know, what's a healthy vision of, of healing and of psychology and emotional, you know, health. Wonderful. I mean, that's, again, uh, thank you for asking that question. It's like, it's like walking a tightrope. Mm. And uh, I, I, I do remember when I um, jumped into my graduate program, MFT, and when it was an ecumenical, come more ecumenical, I'd say it's more progressive, more, you know, more liberal, and so there were, there were believers, there were different backgrounds, and then there were those who were non-believers. When they found out that I'm a Calvary 
chapel pastor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was labeled as because our institution was very fundamental. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we don't need to get into that. Yep. The, yep. Different conversation. Yeah, different <laughs> conversation. That's a different conversation. <laughs> but then I was labeled as this conservative white man fundamentalist. Ah, uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and I was, in many ways, I, there was tension. Then when I went back into the Calvary Chapel world and was working and facilitating and develop a counseling center, I had people in the religious community, when they found out I'm going to get my master's in MFT, they realized, but that's not godly. Psychology is anti, mm. is anti-God. So what are you doing in that world? So I, I found myself in both, I, I, I was walking this tightrope and, and, and understanding that People are misunderstanding me on both spectrums and both systems. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. totally. So, um, so what I've learned is the, the question that, and we've had this discussion, yeah, and what do we do with mental illness? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is the church? How is the church to deal with addiction? How is the church going to deal with people who are countering abuse or... Um, depression or you know or mood disorders. Well, and as a as a marriage and family pastor, um, I you know I I just thought well if you just read the Bible and pray for them, right? You know God is going to <laughs> heal them. And uh, I realized it's not working, mm-hmm. and it's not even working in my own life. Right. So I I think that the journey it wasn't that psychology because I do believe that. Uh, you know, the essence of psychology, the origin of psychology was very self, it's really more humanistic and it's mm-hmm. very grounded in, in um, you know, in our human perspective reality, reality you know, Freud. And, uh, but uh, at the same time, uh, there's been now with so much scientific research, um, we now know from the human behavioral standpoint these truths only reinforce why we need more of Jesus or only reinforces why the truth of the gospel is so much more relevant. Mm-hmm. So understanding is the church, how safe has the church been for people who struggle with bipolar? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How safe have people been who struggle with addiction to alcoholism or toward you know, sex or to drugs? And historically... Um, I would say, especially in the last 20 years, and research indicates by Barna Group, in the last 20 years, over 20 million evangelical, Christ-believing church attenders have walked away from the church. They've walked away. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a lot. And so we're seeing more than ever before is this people are leaving the institutional church. Mm-hmm. They say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but they're leaving the church. So mm-hmm. my... You think that's because they're not experiencing change? They're not, they're not experiencing the church as a place that actually has the resources or the capacity to help them navigate Institutionally, the absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I would argue a step further that because we've just covered that it can be an unsafe place for these demographics and groups of people that... Mm-hmm that it's not a place where people can make a home in a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. That makes any no, sense. No, you're right. Yeah, oh, Absolutely. Totally. So it's a twofold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, so I, I, numerous times I've come to this place, um, I can't do this anymore, I'm leaving the church. Mm-hmm. And I would, 
my place of cynicism or uh, the place of cynicism in my own doubt would cause me to want to leave. And, and yet God made it very clear, no, that's why I have you there. Mm. And to, to yeah. be a light and to be an influence. And, and the reality is I do love the church. Mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, I do love the church and we're flawed. We're flawed people. We're all flawed people. We're all broken people. And the church, the institutions, every institution in our culture, more than ever before, is broken. Mm-hmm. Marriages are broken. So it isn't a matter of creating this kind of toxic positivity for people to come on Sunday mornings and just, you know, I'm, again, I'm all for worship and prayer. I love it. And to meet God. But until we take them deeper, and this is where I think, understand that I wrote this book, of the journey, I believe, of holistic, transformational, integrated, emotional well-being, discipleship is is starting slow, mm-hmm. starting um, slow, small, but going deep is the journey. That's the life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not about, it's just not about programs. Uh, it's not about the process. It's not just about people. It's really about sitting with people in a, in a safe place and creating uh, an environment where they feel cared for and loved, and we can, as, as those in the church, we can sit with them in their pain and learn how to be empathetic and compassionate and trust that God, God heals us through empathy and brokenness and openness and transparency. And we need to do that not on just Sunday mornings, but it's the lifestyle of what true spirituality is all about. Am I making any sense? All the sense. <laughs> we'd like we'd like more of that sense. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Absolutely. I love what I'm hearing you say. It's not that there isn't utility um, or value in the uh, left in the institutional church oh. and left in the like the corporate gatherings. Like there is um, there is value there. Absolutely. But really, it's that's not the place of transformation. Mm. Largely, people can have encounters. You know, they can have, they can t- taste community in those settings, or they could maybe encounter truth, you know, from scripture or encounter the presence of, of the spirit, um, you know, of love and healing and acceptance, but really to get down to the roots of where our identity That's is, right. yeah. uh, requires, as you said, safety, or do you talk, you describe, Hey, safe places, um, slowness to begin a slow work, not of this, like, Hey, you know, slap you on the forehead, you're healed, you know, sort of thing, but understanding that we as humans are incredibly complex and we have multiple layers. We're like onions, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that it takes time in, in the context of safety mm-hmm. to begin to investigate our own stories. Like yeah. you've, I've loved yeah. that we've kind of had this conversation through the lens of the different stages of your, of your story, you know, cause obviously you've done a lot of work in your own story and understanding, Hey, well, what, what were those um, things that contributed to me as Jeff developing an identity that was really tethered to my performance mm-hmm. that leads me to burnout? Yeah. What are, you know, or that led me to, to seeking meaning or escape in a, li- a, a, a promiscuous lifestyle, right? You know, like you've excavated that. Well, most, a lot of people haven't. A lot of people, like their pasts are painful. There's trauma, there's abuse, there's neglect, there's all sorts of stuff, you know, and they just, I don't want to go there. I just want to, I just want to move, move forward. Move forward. Yeah. But the, that, as much as we can do that, that just, that requires kind of a, a grit your teeth, grin and bear it mm-hmm. sort of mentality that ultimately, like, as you said, it, it'll come back around. 
until until we <laughs> allow Jesus. If we run harder away from it. Yeah. No, yeah. it outruns us. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say that it makes for unhealthy people. Yeah. Making unhealthy decisions and perpetuates harm and yeah yeah to elaborate but yeah. so what i've we've we've my, we've had this conversation is what hinders spiritual uh growth in grace and mercy and love and discovering our identity what hinders our ability to integrate truth into our souls and discovering who we are and with that discovering our purpose in life mm-hmm. well i've discovered there's really four different it's pretty simple make this real practical is the first one I'm discovering, if you need to know your story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you need to understand, unless you, unless you grow and learn from your history, you're condemned to repeat your history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So we have, to under, we have to be able to see that our life um, is significant meaning, and every one of us has a major powerful story even in our craziness is we want to dismiss, uh, deny, um, um, and dis, uh, just kind of pull away from that our, my life really doesn't matter. So, so be, sitting with people to help them to understand who they are is part of the healing process, so knowing your story. The second hindrance is, uh, I think it's busyness. Mm. I don't have time. You know, I'm too busy. I've got you know, I've got a family to take care of. I got to pay the bills of, you know, um, and I, you know, that's the part of our culture is just busyness is one of the major hindrances. And I think it's one of the greatest addictions of our culture mm-hmm. is busyness. Um, cause we don't have time to really deal with ourselves, which leads to burnout. Um, the third one I believe is in, is, um, and, uh, Brendan Manning talks about this is self-contempt. Mm, yeah. Is deep, deep shame. We just feel like I'm a loser, or which what hinders us from want to begin to unpack our story. But, but this sense of feeling what's wrong with me, and I don't deserve to be loved, um, and I'm not loved, and so that sense of core belief, our brokenness, is what hinders us not only from loving others, but we can't, we can't love unless we're first experienced love. I, Jesus says, you know. Um, you know, he basically says, we love because he first loved us. So we have to learn to, in our humility and brokenness, to be so dependent in our finiteness on slowing down and, and being with God. And that's why we've discovered in these small groups, we've been able to sit with people and help them to uncover their story. Um, and then the last one I would say is what I call um, toxic spirituality or hyper-spirituality mm-hmm. is you go to church and they say, hey, you're good, you're forgiven, life's good, you don't need to deal with your past anymore, you know. Um, and so that sense of unhealthy spirituality and hyper-spirituality is when we go to church, I call it toxic positivity mm-hmm. or compulsive goodness. It's like, we're just, you know, you know, mm-hmm. you have a yeah. fight with your spouse, you're going to church, you're just in a bad place, you go to church, you step on the church grounds and you run it. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Yes, we're doing you know, super, you know. God's good. God's good. And then you get back in the car and you're like, oh, you know, you just, you bring up all that stuff. But, I, I, you know, I'm, I don't know if this is making any sense to any of you, but um, it's realizing 
You know, that's, and this is what I've discovered in my own journey in understanding the church. And it's not, I'm not here, you know, the last thing I ever want to do is sit here to criticize or attack. I'm here to help in God's grace that we need to have the courage to to self-evaluate, not only ourselves individually, but the church needs to have the courage to self-evaluate and reflect and see where are, where are our blind spots, mm-hmm. how we can become more loving people. Mm. So the four hindrances to healing, people not knowing their story, so being like unconscious of, of the, the ways that our family histories have shaped That's us, right. the ways that our the culture or the religion that we were born into has formed for ill or for health, our sense of uh, self-worth, identity, um, what a meaningful, what a vision of the good life looks like. You, I think your second one, biz, busyness, names a lot of, yeah, our, our addiction to materialism and to consumerism, you know, like the busy, we're, we're busy trying to make a buck, we're busy trying to spend a buck, you know. Um, and that third one I really like, self-contempt or this sublimated shame, because a lot of people don't initially, I found in the work that, some of the work that we've done together, that a lot of people um, don't initially think that they experience shame a lot. They, um, but in part, just because that they have sublimated, they've shoved, you know, shoved that down, but really they then realize that, oh, well, so much, so many of my attempts, my bids for love and my bids for value, you know, like where, oh man, I'm, I'm trying really hard. I only feel good about myself when I'm getting positive feedback from, you know, work or when I'm accom- like when I'm succeeding or, accom- you know, accomplishing something, um, Really, what's happened there is that yeah, they they don't think that they're just enough being who they are. Yeah, um, yeah. Or there's this this sense of brokenness. That's so where so much of the addiction comes from too is trying to medicate or escape this sense of defectiveness mm-hmm. that we carry around and not all, oftentimes can't name. And then yeah, I love that last one: toxic uh, or hyper spirituality, compulsive goodness, or toxic po- positivity. We've all met those sorts of people, right? Mm-hmm. Like when well, I, yeah. And been those. You've met me. Yes. Yeah. I've been that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've been that as well. It's it's really uncomfortable to bring like the the broken your broken self into your everyday. You know, yeah. to like g- give yourself permission to be somebody who's uh, doesn't have it all together yeah. and who doesn't have an unwavering faith mm-hmm. in God's goodness. Who, yeah. who questions sometimes whether or not He is a loving, active, present God who's for our healing good. Yeah. You know. And I'm, let me just, I want to add to that, because um, there are, I mean, I as I am getting more free in discovering my identity and experience more God's grace, His mercy, I am more fulfilled. I am more joyful. I, I can mm-hmm. be with people when people walk on the campus and be and be positive and be kind and good. The, the problem is, if it's done out of compulsivity, mm-hmm. then there's a difference between that's not walking in the spirit, mm-hmm. that's walking in our flesh. But we, so, and at the same time, out of that sense of, of joy and positivity and goodness, I, if I'm walking in the spirit, I'm going to be sensitive and compassionate for people who are not in that place. Right. Mm-hmm. And I can be more caring and more discerning. It's not about just me. It's not about me just trying to work up some sort of attitude. It's me learning to be in a place, walking in God's love and His grace to sit with people that are not doing well and feeling this is a safe place. We're so welcome. I'm so glad you're here. How can we, how can we uh, help you? So mm-hmm. the other thing is you talk about 
the self-contempt is on the other continuum of the spectrum is self-contempt is we can go, we can go to a place of I'm a loser, there's something wrong with me, and how do we deal with that in our pain? The other unhealthy way is if I can compare myself, well, I'm not as bad as that person, or I know the Bible better than that person, and that, the other end of the spectrum we don't understand is what drives shame is self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is coming to that place, well, no, I'm a lot better. I'm a lot better than that person. And, you know, so that's in an unhealthy way. How do we deal with our deep pain is through comparison. And that is pretty relevant in the church today. Mm-hmm. Comparison, and which then leads to, I think, one of the greatest seductive temptations for pe- people in the church is jealousy. Mm-hmm. Well, not just, I mean, well, I think all the things you just said do apply to the church. I think it's it's something that we see in broader culture in yeah, general. We right. live, you know, we yeah. live in the, yeah. the age of the image and the visual age right. where we are freely, you know, like it's, it's shifting rapidly yeah. now as we're kind of renegotiating our, our relationship to these technologies that we developed, that we carry around in our pockets, you right. know, that give us, um, unending and instant access to the entire world of knowledge, but also the lives of millions of people who are freely sharing and posting, you know, only mostly only their best and shiniest moments or their deep pain and bitterness, you know? So it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's an issue that isn't exclusive by any means to the church. Um, well, Jeff, I so appreciate you just sharing some of your story and some of the the wisdom that you've, you know, found and painting a little bit of a better vision for what, a healthy spirituality could look like, um, you know, Claire, if you've got any other questions, then feel free to, to fire away. Um, but I, I think one thing, one reason when we were talking about having you on as a guest, it's, as I kind of mentioned earlier, we work with a lot of people, um, and a lot of people who are our audience as well are people who are interested in moving out to the margins, moving out to posture themselves in the place, the broken places of the world yeah. that have, need for health and healing and hope. And um, I think a lot of, you know, that's that was the, in part the vision behind the podcast that you and I developed, Three to Love, was saying, hey, how can we offer people a resource who might not have a church or have a spiritual community that's safe, as we've acknowledged, that um, or isn't just resourced to help people to grow and to understand. So, uh, like, understand their journey and to overcome the obstacles to um, to healing. And so I'm so grateful for the work that you've you've done and continue to do and want to help elevate and broadcast mm-hmm. this message that you've got because I think it's a needed one. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a it's a joy being here with you and um, I'm I think I just you know being a, a counselor and a pastor my question is am I is is this relevant for you know is this relevant for you guys anything that that you can reflect on your own story mm-hmm. um, to reflect on. Yeah, I can. I I've, I've been there. I I've experienced that. Or I know this is the journey I'm on. I'm just wondering if if those uh, questions are relevant or make sense to you. I think definitely, as people who are in a business where we deal with people and help people and both have a heart for people, I think it's definitely prevalent to understand you know, how your own story and experiences inform the world and how it informs your interactions with others and how you can, and your capability and capacity to sit with others in their brokenness. One question I had for you specifically is what does it look like to befriend befriend that brokenness, both in yourself and in others, that slow process? What does that kind of look like in real time? Uh, I think the key word you just said, and I really appreciate you 
Um, um, it's a powerful word. I think it's really relevant to spiritual well-being and healthiness is we have to befriend mm-hmm. our humanness. We have to embrace um, our limitations. We have to expre- ex- be able to accept our the idiosyncrasies and um, those broken areas of our lives, whether it be physically, emotionally, psychologically, even dealing with you know, trauma, deep trauma in our life. And so if we don't befriend it, we're not going to integrate it into our life. If we don't embrace it, then we're going to continue to live uh, disintegrated. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be people of integrity. We're going to be disintegrated. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, our, it's the natural, it's our natural instinctive tendency to not befriend pain, mm-hmm. to befriend our brokenness but to dismiss it, to ignore it. Um, and as, as you know, you talked about earlier, Joseph, is it, it's going to, it's like this, it'll, it'll come back to bite you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can't, it's like a boomerang effect. You know, you're like, I'm, I'm going to get rid of this. I don't have to deal with this anymore. I don't want to be like my dad. Boop. And it's <laughs> boom, boom, boom. It's going to come back and it's going to bite you. It's going to hit you. Right. Mm-hmm. And because it isn't, a, it isn't just an issue of, it's not just a, a, an emotional, psychological issue. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's far deeper than that. So, yeah, I think um, we have to face our pain mm-hmm. in order to, to experience healing mm-hmm. uh, from it and going from pain to peace learning to get out of our heads and learn to live in our hearts mm-hmm. and then learning to live from the inside out. How do I learn to accept and understand that I am loved and cared for by God mm-hmm. and to live in that place of wholeness and knowing that, that you know, you are God's beloved. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're highly valued. We all are highly valued. We're God's beloved. And he sees us in the eyes of his son, Jesus. And he sees us in our potential. He sees you for who you, who not only what you, what you are, what you have been, or what you used to be, he sees you on what you are to be. And I think I, I love that sort of, that, having that sort of perspective, mm-hmm. those lenses that God sees you prophetically as mm-hmm. a powerful, amazing, beautiful, broken, caring human being. And if we see ourselves like that, we will see other people that way. Mm-hmm. If we see ourselves as wounded, dark, um, not broken, I use the difference between woundedness and brokenness. Brokenness is really a place when, we're, when we experience healing in our woundedness, but we accept. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, then we're able, to, if not, then if we're not kind to ourselves, we won't be kind to other people. We'll, it'll be harder for us to be kind to other people if we're not kind mm-hmm. to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, Love yeah. that distinction between woundedness and brokenness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Did I hear you right there? So for you, brokenness is, is having accepted our woundedness and having experience, beginning to experience healing there. Yeah, and it's, we never arrive. Right. Yeah. The journey of sanctification in the Bible, sanctification or transformation is an ongoing journey till, until the day we, we get set free from these, mm-hmm. these bodies. Right. You know? Could you also say that that's an aspect of wilderness and being in a type oh. of wilderness? And do you ever leave it? Ooh, do you ever ooh. leave the wilderness? How would you qualify <laughs> that? 
Wow, you we're going deeper now. You know? Let's go. Good work. Good one, Claire. <laughs> yeah, Claire. So deep wilderness is is it's one of the major metaphors um, in the Old Testament. Yeah, and uh, of understanding is the wilderness is is just not a dark, arid. Um, place absent of God's goodness and kindness. It is really, it is really the place of experiencing in the dark night of our soul. God meets us in the dark night of our souls. He meets us in that place of, in our wilderness when, when we feel all alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, you're, we, we and I, here's the reality. The question is in our culture, are we seeing a wilderness Mm. culture, mm. unpredictability, mm-hmm. um, un, uh, uncertain climate, cultural climate changes, not only just climate, right. not sure. just, you know, uh, the ecological, not, not just ecological, but we're seeing psychological, emotional, climate, cultural climate changes, and our culture is changing so radically, mm-hmm. uh, which is an opportunity in this wilderness season for the light to shine. Mm-hmm. For us to to be in that place of anchoring our love and grace, not in our culture, not in the institutional church, mm-hmm. but in Jesus, and then God wants to use us as light of the world in these dark places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's well, that's a conversation we've been having even mm-hmm. here in the office of where do you find stability? What is the correct metaphor to use in how you center yourself in that position of mm-hmm. identity, belovedness, security in that versus yeah. that of this world? And it's from that inner centered place where you find the grit and find mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit and you can be in that eye of the hurricane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I really see you as a, I see you as a contemplative deep thinker. You know, I see as, an, as you're an inner processor, and I can see, I can see how you know you how you in your personality and in who you are in your countenance. I could see how you're one who is going to go deep and really begin to process and understand, try to understand. And at the same time, but you're also most vulnerable to the inner battle you know, the inner struggles of really accepting who am I and my value. And so, but that's part of, I think that's the beauty of who you are and your personality and, and how God has created you, that you have so much to offer in your sensitivity and you're a very compassionate, caring person. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> she, is the, she is all those things and, mm. and many more. You know, I, I heard you, Claire, asking um, this really wa- powerful um, practical question of what does it look like to befriend? Mm-hmm. And you gave a great response, Jeff, um, just talking about the importance of that. And as I was hearing you talk, I was, I was kind of looking down at these, the four obstacles to healing that you named for us and, and wondered actually if those are the, the flip side of those are these pretty practical ways, like, Hey, what does it look like to befriend our brokenness? What does it look like to become people of, um, integrity, people of peace, which, you know, there's a, Mark Sayers wrote a great book called, um, a non-anxious presence. And he kind of, he kind of identified that, Hey, in a, in, in a period of increasing stability, you know, 
communally and globally that the thing that the world needs is people of peace, non oh. people of non-anxious presence, people who can sit in uncertain, chaotic, traumatic, violent times and spaces and to not become reactive, mm -hmm. to not perpetuate that violence or that, that abuse, but to be uh, people of peace, people who are able mm -hmm. to be a safe refuge for others um, and to make wise decisions from that space. So I love that you're kind of already painting that picture for us. And on that practical, how do you befriend your brokenness? You know, you named the obstacles as not knowing your story and as busyness and as self-contempt and as toxic or hyper-spirituality. And I was kind of going, oh, well, if those are the obstacles. What would the practical flip sides look like? Well, it would be to know your story. We've talked about that a lot. Mm -hmm. Part of befriending your brokenness mm -hmm. is getting to know where did it come from? Who wounded you and when? You know, because it's until we can't identify that, then we can't really begin to heal it. That's we can't right. really begin to forgive the people who have hurt us or the ways that we've hurt ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, another practical way, you said busyness is an obstacle. So slowness and simplicity in a, right. in a mm -hmm. culture of abundance and, and you know, noise, slow down, and in some ways to tune out uh, all the all the arguing voices yeah. and to try and listen to that still small voice. Mm. Then you said in self-contempt, well, a practice then of self-compassion, of being empathetic yeah. towards mm -hmm. our own, as I heard you say, our own limited wounded selves. Mm -hmm. That it's like, well, hey, I am not just defined by my woundedness or my brokenness mm -hmm. or my self-contempt. You know, um, I am a finite creature who's got unique gifts and unique limitations, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's self-compassion. And then the last one, you said the toxic or hyper-spirituality or that compulsive goodness that wants to push away all dark uh, emotion mm -hmm. or experience, mm -hmm. um, that's countered actually by this healthy, robust faith and spirituality that makes space intentionally for lament mm -hmm. and for grief yeah. and yeah. for the, mm -hmm. the fact that, hey, you know, um, we go through wilderness seasons where we feel desolate and alone um, and we need to be able to give voice to those. And actually, that's the beautiful part of the Christian tradition is that includes the Psalms of Lament, it includes the Ecclesiastes. You could open the Bible and not just find, hey, the good news of the fact that, you know, but you could find uh, a mirror that's actually reflecting yeah. the immediate moment that you had, this one of decadence and of discontent and disillusionment yeah. with mm -hmm. the fact that like, well, hey, I've tasted success, wealth, glory, whatever, whatever and it's not... Uh, it hasn't brought me meaning or peace. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was my best attempt at, at your practical <laughs> response to that question of how do we befriend our brokenness. Yeah, mm. no, that's, uh, that's good. And I, I think getting back to, on a very practical, pragmatic, what does that look like structurally? And um, I think if there is a movement, if we're going to see, which I describe is personal revival is preceded by personal brokenness. Mm -hmm. So we, until we come to the end of ourselves and we begin the process and the journey mm -hmm. of our own healing, then we're going to, we'll just fall right back. And so that's why, you know, I, and you and we've discussed is the simplicity and the mandate of the gospel on a practical basis is, is the great commission mm -hmm. go the, you know, Jesus spends three years living with these, twelve not just 12 men, but he had a whole team, mm -hmm. men and women that he lived with for three years. Only for three years, he, 33 years old, he, you know, he was crucified, he was 33, mm -hmm. you know. And then he says, uh, in his resurrected state, just before he takes off to be with his father, he says, go. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and make disciples of, you know, I give you authority to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so the simplicity of it's just not, I, you, I agree, I love Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. bringing people together in a community, it does build a sense of hope and inspiration. But if the essence of living the life is really is in small groups, grace-centered, grace-filled environment, safety, confidentiality, and meditating and reflecting on the teachings of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's the journey. How long does that take? As long as you got. <laughs> <laughs> it should be the rhythm of our life. It really should be, because if not, we're going to go back to a place of busyness, mm-hmm. shame, isolation. We're always going to regress back to where our culture is going to take us back to, and which is you know, part of the dark side is a place of feeling all alone and, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. that orphan mentality. So. Mm-hmm. so really, I think what we've been experiencing, I know you've been, you know, you and, and Daryl have been co-leading a group of men. Mm-hmm. Um, and just I hear, I, I, it's been beautiful to hear some of these men um, come and tell me how it's changing their lives yeah. and just the wisdom that you and Daryl have. And it's not that you're teaching, right. you're there, <clears throat> you're, you're kind of uh, orchestrating and creating an environment where people have a voice and to talk, and, mm-hmm. but you do have great wisdom in asking the right question at the right time to the right person and helping them begin to discover. So mm-hmm. uh, it's, I'm just really grateful for you and, and you know, the, the team we have of people who are now discipling and pouring into other people's lives. So, mm-hmm. Well, I hope the... I hope that there's a movement that you're, you know, I hope the movement that you're describing, this vision that you're offering of what healthy, you know, spirituality and community um, could look like is one that takes off, you know, I, I know it will take off slowly because it's just a crucial aspect of its practice, yeah. you know, this isn't, uh, this isn't something that goes viral, um, you know, it's something that slowly works its way through mm-hmm. communities and through lives and through relationships. So, Well, you, it's all on your generation now, because my generation, <laughs> we're, it's, it's, it's all, I don't want to put any pressure on you guys, but it's all on you guys now, you know? We Jeff, we already struggle with performance anxiety. <laughs> uh, now, Jeff, thanks so much for joining us no. for this conversation. We always we try and end with this uh, thing called hot takes, which I didn't prepare. Sometimes we prepared like a big a big list. I think I only have like one or two questions that come to me off the top of my head. So, and two hot of them, takes. Two, yeah, hot takes. So this is just like real quick. What's your What's your opinion or your your answer here? Um, what is the hardest pitch to throw? <laughs> um, I think it's, I really think it's the fork ball. It's the, really? it's the yeah, I think it's, um, yeah. What was your best pitch? I was in, uh, my most effective pitch was the overhand curveball. Yeah, it was really effective and, um, yeah. And then I started throwing, trying to throw the splitter. Mm-hmm. You know, we called it back then the fork ball, it's called the splitter. Um, but it's probably one of the most effective pitches today, the hot pitch. But I, I, I didn't learn it back then. I wish I had. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the outset of the season, yeah. who's, who, who are you calling to win the pennant this year? Who's going to win the World Series? Oh, that's really, gosh, that's really emotional for me, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So this is the thing. is <laughs> This is crazy. So I was raised an uh, Angel fan. 
Oh, I'm so sorry. Mm. So it's like, but they got the two of the, you know, potentially the two of the, the best, best players. Totally. Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. So I love these guys, but if they get rid of Shohei Otani, I'm going to become a Padre fan. Okay. I'm in that process. <laughs> I'm in that process right now, but the Padres aren't doing that well. I went to the Padre game the other night and uh, I realized, you know, if I do, if I divorce the Angels, I can't just give them up and jump into another relationship. <laughs> you got to take a time of grieving. I have grieving to take my time and healing and, healing and, healing and, <laughs> and that process. I just can't let go of a my whole life, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. Is it becoming this unintentional thing that, like, we, in some way we will end up talking about baseball? <laughs> in my experience, yeah. yeah. yeah there you go. Who, are, you, are you a baseball fan? Not really. Okay, good. That's, I mean, you know what? I grew up in great. You don't Dodgers, to, but you don't yeah. get you don't have to get attached to I'm not these twenty seven year old men. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. It's really funny. Uh, I don't know if I have a hot take as what it would be called as a hot take, but I want to know what you're reading right now. Ooh, that's a great question. So question. where I am right now is I think my um, I've been on this. I've been on this season of inner healing and not, so I haven't been in a, I have not been in a intellectual philosophical pursuit. Mm. I've been practicing a lot of Lectio Divina. Mm. So I think it's been life changing for me to just every day I listen to auditory, the word of God in the morning and at night. Mm -hmm. And I just sit there and I just reflect and close my eyes and listen. And then I'll, then I'll, if I sense God speaking to me, I'll go back and read it and then read it again and then reflect. Mm -hmm. So um, it's really been a powerful tool. And I don't know if the people know what Electio Divina is, but it's really just more contemplation yeah. and receiving, not just yeah. study. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's more about just sitting and receiving and trying to hear the voice of God yeah. through His Word. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I also have a Lectio practice, and it is mm -hmm. deeply. Restful and transformative. I think. Yeah, I, the only thing I need to do because if you if you do the understand if you studied, I think his name is Thomas and the different ways we hear the voice of God. Some people hear it through nat from nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some people through more stoicism. And so I find myself that I am an activist mm. and a caretaker, <laughs> which is really interesting. I'm an activist. Yeah. I want to see radical change, but I'm I'm a caretaker. Mm -hmm. I would like to become more of a naturalist. I wish I could spend more time fishing mm -hmm. with uh, going out fishing with mm -hmm. Joseph because he's that's what he he meets God out there yeah. and oh, yeah, fly yeah. fishing. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I have one last question I realized, and it was a, a question I wanted to ask earlier because you described yourself, you've come to understand a lot of your calling in life is to act as a coach. It's not so much a therapist, it's not so mm -hmm. much a pastor. Um, and I really like that uh, because. Well, therapist and pastor are kind of loaded roles and loaded terms and require um, sometimes well require training and specialization mm -hmm. and so it could feel out of reach for a lot of people who might just be listening to this. Um, but coaching is something that we see throughout our culture, right? Yeah. Not just in the sports <clears throat> space, mm -hmm. but in the career space. You know, we just had Roy Zunza on the podcast and he was talking about his corporate chaplaincy and about faith in the workplace and how good leadership is lots of ways. Like it's yeah. not this this authoritative, you know, um, top-down sort of thing. It's this coming alongside, this coaching, encouraging. So how would you define uh, and how do you understand, like, this idea of being a coach? Yeah, that's great. Okay, so it's interesting. I might have shared this with you, but I had this prophetic word spoken over to me about two, about a year and a half ago. Uh -huh. And the guy came up to me, and he, he's, 
I didn't even know who the guy was. He's this supposedly prophet from, you know, <laughs> from Shreveport, Louisiana. And he just didn't know. Rob and I were sitting there in this church service, and he comes up, and he goes, You're, you are a counselor. And then he paused and said, no, you're a counselor by, that's your vocation, but you're a coach mm. by nature. And then he said this, and this helps you to answer your question. He said, counselors and pastors have a tendency to, is to speak truth into them. You have a coach have the gift to be able to bring truth, bring the truth out of them oh. to see who they really are and to bring that out of them. Mm-hmm. And he said, so you have, the, you have as a coach, you're able to help them to understand their true identity as a follower of Christ. So, and I would say on a more practical basis as a coach is that we're more pro-growth, we're more focused on the positive, we're more, I'm more exhorting, encourager, I'm an encourager, I'm an influencer, so I, I, I want to bring truth out of them and then help them to understand how do they go from crisis to their character and identity to their calling. Mm-hmm. So as a mm-hmm. coach, I want them not just to sit as a therapy and understand their brokenness, mm-hmm. but I want them to understand their purpose yeah. and their meaning in life. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's great. Beautiful. That's great. Jeff Franke, always a pleasure, man. Man. Thanks for coming by the nation's office and uh, talking talking your journey, talking yeah. healing, talking brokenness, talking baseball, you know. Well, we gotta, okay, we gotta get together. We gotta do uh, episode two, right? Yeah, season two, the season Free to two. Love podcast. <laughs> we have, yeah, people are asking when's the next, when's the next season coming out. So, right, and well, I can't do this without you. Well, you know that, dear diary, I feel very <laughs> encouraged and validated. We should have guests on who are so as encouraging uh, as him more often. Very uplifting. Yeah. Right. Thanks, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Cut. Thanks, you guys. Thank you really so much. Yeah, thanks for...